Hello and welcome back to the F2 show. Now, obviously, we're in the middle of a gap between Formula 2 races. Uh, so today we're going to try something slightly different. Uh, what we thought we'd do, we'd look back at legends of Formula 2 and GP2, just the, the second tier of motorsport, if you like. We'll only go back as far as GP2, uh, just to keep things nice and simple. Uh, and as we go through, there might be a few familiar faces that might be appearing at points throughout the show as well to give us their opinions. But before we discuss all of that, obviously, uh, speaking of familiar faces... We have two faces that hopefully you're uh, slightly familiar with now. Uh, joining me today, I have our very own Inside F2 editor, Hannah Pruffick, and I also have GP Grandstand's Jim Kimberley. Oh, let's go back to where it all kind of began, really, for GP2 back in 2005, our first season. Uh, obviously, 23 races at uh, 12 different circuits. And there's a young guy called Nico Rosberg who became the first ever champion uh, driving for ART, obviously still in the sport now. Hannah, how important was that season for Nico Rosberg? Rosberg obviously going on to be a Formula One world champion I think for Nico it kind of set maybe the tone of his whole career to be honest I think previously he'd had a bit of success he'd obviously won Formula I think it's Formula BMW in Germany and then he went on to Formula 3 Euro Series which is like the predecessor I was maybe about what six when he won that which makes <laughs> um, him sound very old <laughs> like dropping him in there but he's had a little bit of success there, finished fourth in, 20, in 2004, and then obviously went on to GP2. And to be honest with you, his year pretty much dominated it. I think he ended up getting, I think it was over 52% of the points available in his season. The only other people to beat that were Lewis Hamilton the following year and Stoffel Van Dorn when he won. And so I think it kind of set, I say, the tone for his season and going forward is it gave him the opportunity he was working with ones as a test driver then obviously gave him that William C and eventually led on to Mercedes and his title season so I think for him is he would look back probably in that on that GP2 season with fond memories and the knowledge that it probably gave him the confidence and I think the clout by that point because even though GP2 wasn't what I would say Formula 2 is now it was what still one of the premier avenues to bring up young talent. And so it gave him the opportunity for Williams. And ultimately, I think for him, it was an amazing season. And he can't help look back on it fondly and look at, say, for example, a 15-point margin to Hakey Coverline and isn't something to be sniffed at, especially given how tight these junior categories are. Yeah, I'm still not over the fact he retired at the end of 2016, but we'll, we'll, we'll move on, we'll move on. Uh, and moving on to 2006, there was a new kid on the block. I think his name was Lewis Hamilton. Five victories on the way to the title that season. Whatever happened to him, Jim? Who, who, who knows what happened to him? Never heard of him. No, he's, uh, he's of course, either the goat, as like people like to say today, or one of the goats. And... Yeah, absolutely phenomenal season. The, the difference, I think a lot of people have got a big um, Hamilton versus Verstappen rivalry and how they made their way up and Verstappen, of course, took quite an unusual approach. But what is so key, I think, with Verstappen at the moment, he's not won a single-seater championship. Meanwhile, Hamilton made his way through, dominating everything he had. He had the backing of McLaren, which, of course, you saw how that turned out and for the first season to go into Formula One and be a point off of grabbing the title. It was just absolutely insane. I can't imagine anyone ever doing that. That might be the closest we'll ever get to a rookie champion from now on with how the sports changed with the academies. But that season, I think it kind of showed 
what Lewis is going to be, especially that element of Silverstone when he won the both races in GP2. And you look out, what, 15 years later, that Silverstone now has a straight named after him. And I was at Silverstone that year and I was devastated because I was sitting in traffic, as you do when you go to Silverstone, on the way in in the morning. But we could hear on the radio, my friends and I, this Lewis Hamilton that everyone's talking about. And remember, these were days before F2 was getting all sorts of the coverage it gets now. GP2 was known about, but not so easy to watch. It wasn't YouTube to catch up on the highlights. And then you hear about this guy going three abreast into Maggots and Beckett's. You watch the highlights. It all looks very dramatic as, well, I can't remember the guy who goes off the track but smashes the, the advertising board. And then Lewis Hamilton comes through to win one of two races that weekend, sends the British fans into rapture. And then now, how many years on, how many victories at Silverstone he's had under his belt? Yeah, it's just that season was uh, a demonstration of what that guy was going to be. And of course, can't forget that he beat Glock and Glock seemed to be pretty instrumental in that first championship with the famous now is that Glock. So yeah, absolutely fundamental for Lewis to be where he is today by stepping up the ladder. And I think GP2, you say Nico Rosberg coming in in 2005, this series and establishing this ladder, be called GP2 or F2, whatever you want to call it, it started becoming very important to have this, what's the word, homologated way into Formula One now that I think is the building blocks for these years. And I don't think they or Lewis or anybody could have dreamed of it becoming what it is today with the F1, F2 and F3 route. And uh, long may it continue. Yeah, absolutely. It shows a lot more, a clearer structure that we've got now, doesn't it? But uh, yeah, I, I, everyone kind of remembers the the turkey race it, uh, for Lewis Hamilton in GP2, where obviously he spun on the first lap and, and worked his way through the field. But it was, for me anyway, that that Silverstone weekend that was the real the real breakthrough weekend. I know he got the, 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 the double win in, in Germany as well, but that was the real breakthrough season, the one where, uh, sorry, the breakthrough weekend where you were like, wow, this, this guy is pretty special and he's going to be in Formula 1 and he's going to do very well in Formula 1, wasn't it? I don't think anyone knew he was going to do quite as well as he did though, right? But you get these generational talents. And I do think when you hear about that fight through, remember Charles Leclerc with that fight through at Bahrain, that these sort of drives, when you hear about them as an F1 only fan, that you don't really care, don't really pay attention to the lower formula and you hear about them, that you know anybody who can do that is a bit special, that they're not just another driver that can come through and be forgotten about and dropped. And I don't know if we're going to go down this, uh, down this route, but God bless him, but Stoffel van Dorn goes off to Formula E instead of making it in Formula One, but there wasn't necessarily the same sort of levels of drives. And sorry, Had, I know you're on the Formula E route, but this this was a, yeah, we mentioned the, the, the assembled drive, we mentioned the silvers and stuff. These are sort of the weekends that make uh a driver become a known quantity to F1 fans. And I think when you do hear of any of those sorts of races, then you've got to pay attention because you know that person's going to make it into Formula One and they're going to make some big splashes when they get there. Yeah, 100%. Uh, Hannah, does it tell you everything you need to know that the fact that both, obviously, Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hampton only spent one season in the second tier? Does that tell you everything you need to know about both drivers? Absolutely. I think anyone who's watched kind of GP2 in its early days, you could tell those two were phenomenal talents. I would say Lewis 
probably the more spectacular of the two, sorry, Nico, but it highlights, I think, for me, those kind of drivers that are, as Jim said, a once in a generation, I think. You'll have talented drivers come and go throughout the entirety of the single-seater calendar. Even say, for example, look at last year's F2 grid and look at this year's. You have those hands that ultimately do stand out, not just because they're good drivers on a good day, but they're remarkable even on a bad day. Is for me, Hamilton had, even when he spins off, even when something doesn't go right, he's somehow miraculously able to make it work. And I think that, for me show something that's maybe he's not just a driver that drives his car, but that car is an extension of who he is as a person. It's an extension of his body as much as his hand is, for example. They're just so in tune with that car and they were able to maximise it. I think Rosberg maybe didn't always get to show his talents as well. Sometimes Williams was a bit off the pace and obviously I keep wanting to refer to him as Brittany after Mark Webber's elusive comment. (laughs) (laughs) But I think sometimes he was maybe a little bit overshadowed. But you have to make during that 2016 season at Mercedes is as much as the teammate rivalry played a factor in the psychological aspect. In the end, Rosberg won because he was the better driver that year. And for me, it does show the pinnacle of why Formula 2 and GP2 previously were so great and continue to be great is because it's not just the fastest driver on that one day that wins, but it's the better driver who is the most consistent. And for me, Hamilton and Rosberg are kind of two of the... Di- well, they were diamonds in the rough when they were in GP2, but they were certainly diamonds in motorsport and a Formula 1 when they got up to the World Championships. 100%. And that's the, the beauty of the junior categories and why we love Formula 2 so much, right? Uh, moving on to 2007, Jim, you've already mentioned Timo Glock won the title, promoted to Formula 1 in 2008 with Toyota and obviously played a little bit of a part in uh, a certain Lewis Hamilton winning the championship in 2008. We also had former Formula 1 driver with Jordan, Giorgio Pantano. He took the title in 2008, the GP2 title, obviously. That was a bit of a weird one, wasn't it? Because he was a Formula 1 driver in 2004, obviously, with Jordan uh but then he then you know I didn't complete well he he didn't complete all of the races for that season uh, and then he then went back to GP2 and, and won the title didn't he so it was a bit, bit of a weird one Hannah yeah it was I think it maybe sums up how sometimes topsy-turvy the kind of nature of the Formula 1 paddock is I think for him going back seeing I would say for us now looking at say where Formula 2 is it would seem a very strange thing to do but at that time it maybe was a little bit harder I would say to highlight yourself in the junior categories GP2 presents this opportunity if you've gone and not had a very successful initial kind of shot of Formula 1 you can go back to GP2 show why you deserve a better seat and push away up the grid then I would say it's worth it but for any drivers who think of doing that now I don't think that would work it was very much kind of a taking advantage of the circumstances at hand and although it wouldn't work now I'd say it obviously worked in his favour in the end but I think they're just so competitive these categories and going up you ultimately most of the time only have one shot and he was very lucky to be able to go back to GP2 and go back again but not every other driver gets the same opportunities. 
yeah, it didn't quite work out for him long term, unfortunately. Mm. Another familiar face took the title in 2009, Nico Hulkenberg, uh, an incredible driver in the in the junior categories. I actually remember uh, going to A1 GP. Do you remember that? Um, and and Nico, Nico Hulkenberg was like unbelievable. It was at Brands Hatch. It must have been 2006, 2007, maybe. And yeah, this guy, Nico Hulkenberg, was like unbelievable. And I thought, wow, you know, this, this guy's going to be in Formula One. Is he someone that, that, that you know, maybe didn't quite reach his full potential or was he just incredibly underrated in his Formula One career, Jim? <sighs> Million dollar question. Um, Hulkenberg, he just seems like a lovely guy and somebody that is impossible to not like, I think, unless you're Kevin Magnussen. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know what went wrong and it might just be the simple answer that he wasn't good enough for world championship material, winning material, podium material, most devastatingly the last one. And the Le Mans thing, you maybe think, okay, well, he's clearly quick. He really is. And he just never seemed to have a seat that presented it to him at the right time. And he wasn't ever in the slowest of the cars. He was always in the midfield. And maybe he would be envious of Sergio Perez now who had a very similar career trajectory in terms of the journeyman I know Perez stayed a long time with Racing Point but the journeyman in the midfield to get the opportunity to go to a top team and then he's making the most of it um, you could argue Perez wouldn't deserve the win in Baku because of what happened to, to Max and maybe even Lewis that we don't know if Perez is going to be a winner in Red Bull for his own terms, but he's clearly showing a lot of speed. And I wonder if Hulkenberg would have been the same as well, because Hulkenberg throughout his career, he was never completely outclassed by teammates. Um, he was always there, thereabouts. He was, a, he was a consistent driver. And he reminds me also of his compatriot, Nick Heidfeld, in that if I wanted to get a solid driver pairing, in a, say in a fantasy Formula One game, Hulkenberg's that kind of driver, you know, he's going to, he's always going to be there or thereabouts. But we've spoken about these generational talents and you talk about A1GP and funny enough to say that because I saw Brands Hatch tweeted about A1GP with the England-Germany game just the other day and say Brands Hatch and A1GP are just the things that come out. Uh, But yeah, I I don't think when you speak about those generational talents, I don't think he ever was going to be I just think he was always going to be good enough for F1 and that is no insult at all if somebody says you're in the top 20 in the world of what you do Jim I'd be delighted I think when you get to that level right at the top you want to be the best but he it's not like he came through at a time where there were just drivers that were brilliantly better than him although there were the Hamiltons and so on I just don't think he was ever going to scratch uh, scratch the top level. And that's no disrespect. I still rate Hulkenberg and I'd still love him to come back. But he just never was one of the generational talents that graduated into F1. Yeah, absolutely. And, and by the way, Jim, you, you absolutely are in the top 20 in the world of what you do. If you guys at home, if you haven't checked out the week that was on uh, on, on YouTube, then go and check it out because it's absolutely hilarious. Uh, 2010, uh, so uh, Pastor Maldonado, 
take the title uh, before he was obviously promoted to Formula One with Williams. Roman Grosjean then took the title in 2011 uh, and then the brilliant, uh, well, the brilliantly entertaining Davide Valsecchi took the title at the fifth time of asking in 2012. We're really seeing the importance of, of doing well in the junior series, aren't we, Jim? You know, a good season in Formula Two or in the, the, the second tier of motorsport, GP2, as it was then, really gives you with, you know, it gives you a good opportunity to go into Formula One and prove yourself, doesn't it? Into commentary, Davide's uh, <laughs> world, but yeah, it does. And you're not going to be a driver who goes well in karting in a Formula One team and say, "Oh, you're really good at karting. Come on, come and drive for us." You're going to have to prove yourself. Uh, we see today with the academies that I mentioned a bit earlier that the drivers are expected to go into these categories. They're expected to go and at least compete. Uh, but generally win, Helmut Marker is going to be judging you based on how you do against the competition. And there's no better proving ground. There's there's so much that you can learn, uh, you think, from race staff perspective, especially today with how much more coverage the, the junior series are getting, like this podcast, that how do they handle the media? How do they field questions? What sort of marketability are you going to have? You can't really find those things out when the racing in a much lower category. And I don't want to dismiss like something like British F4 or anything. It just doesn't have the same microscope on it. It's GP2, GP3 and Formula 3, Formula 2. They are the, the little brothers of Formula 1. I think they're really showing that today, that they are the mini version of F1 in almost everything they do. They share the weekends, of course, as well. You could say for argument's sake that stewarding decisions, questionable stewarding decisions that we spoke about a little bit uh, at Monaco, I think it was, that these things start coming to place as well. And these things happen in Formula One. How do you handle, how do you bounce back? You can't do that with the same gravitas as F1, but you can do it in F2, which is pretty much as close as you're going to get. So if you can prove yourself there in all ways, race wins, championships ideally then you are going to be catching the eye of the formula one bosses and back in the day it might not have been an academy necessary i think that's almost a prerequisite to get into f1 today sadly and i think that might be to the detriment of some drivers but we're not talking about that right now but i do think that you need to be showing how good you are in the junior formula otherwise you're never going to make it yeah, 100%. That is true. And, and Fabio Lima obviously won the championship in 2013. Uh, and then former Formula One driver, Jolien Palmer, took the title in 2014. With Dams obviously still on the grid now. Hannah, was Jolien Palmer, was, it, was he given enough time in Formula One to, to, to kind of prove himself? I hate these kinds of questions because it feels so difficult to answer because I think he maybe should have had more time, but also it's Formula One you get one shot at it and most drivers look at say for example the Red Bull Junior program with how they've swapped and changed their drivers giving them half a season in the main seat and things like that you get one opportunity and for him he just didn't capitalize on it for me there wasn't the same talent that I saw in GP2 I think whether we had difficulties in adjusting and things like that and ultimately was I think outclassed by his teammates I think that is I think if you're a new driver entering Formula One, the one thing you're praying for is a bad teammate. 
Because if you've got a teammate that's worse than you, you can look brilliant. Because ultimately, that's the only person you can accurately be measured to. You can't compare, for example, I don't know, Yuki Tsunoda in the Alpha Tower to say, I don't know, Mick Schumacher in the Haas, because they're two different cars, two very different potentials. In the end, their like, key performance indicators are going to be very different. And for him, he was just unfortunately happy like Hulkenberg that were just so much better than him and were able to get that car. And for a lot of drivers, if they can understand, say, junior series, like Hulkenberg, for example, won multiple junior categories on his way up and was able to adapt well to F1. But Palmer just didn't seem to have that adaptability in the same way. And unfortunately, it cost him his career. And also, he probably arrived at the worst time because in the years following, we've had a su- succession of pretty much incredible talents come up through GP2 and ultimately bump their way onto the F1 grid. And then with the ever-changing driver market in silly season, he was just an unfortunate victim of circumstance. One of those talents, of course, Stoffel Van Dorn, uh, 2015 champion. Uh, I mean, that was a sensational season. When it's seven wins, it was a record seven wins, uh, including four wins, uh, well, four feature race wins in the first four feature races, four out of four uh, for, the, for the start of the season. Statistically, the greatest ever GP2 or Formula 2 season still is the greatest ever. How, how good was Stoffel Van Dorn that season, Hannah? Honestly, I struggle to find the words. I think he was just unbelievable. The fact that he beat Alexander Rossi by 160 points, I think, says it all. And I think he ended up getting 60 over 68% of the points available, 16 podiums and 21 races. Those are kind of things. If that was an F1, it would be complete domination in the World Championship. I think there'd maybe been some people that said, that if you look at the stats going, oh, he must have had an easy season. He didn't. Is if you look at the drivers on that grid, obviously you have Pierre Gasly wins GP2 the year after. And then you have people like Alex Lynn and Mitch Evans who've gone and made their name over in Formula E now. Is it was an incredibly tight and competitive season. And Stoffel just seemed to take to it like a duck to water. He was undeniably brilliant. And I think that justified McLaren putting their faith in him. And it was sad because I think if that Mc- when that McLaren car was good, he was able to get those opportunities and was able to show it, like, for example, standing in earlier in his campaign. But then you had a situation where the car was dogged. He then suffered, ultimately, and it cost him a Formula 1 seat. But now he's able to show that talent once again in Formula E. And it proves that GP2, GP2 champions and F2 champions aren't just one-hit wonders. I think a lot of people think, oh, they'll win a campaign. Some drivers maybe slightly take advantage of the circumstances, do have better seasons than maybe their talents showed. But for Stoffel Van Dorn, he was undeniably quick, undeniably consistent and deserved that title and ultimately deserved the Formula 1 seat. And I think it would have been sad had he not been promoted to Formula 1 off the basis of that, because at the time there was a lot of uncertainty where the F2 champion went, because you obviously had 2015, Max Verstappen came up straight from European F3 and it proved... I think Stoffel was the start of Formula 2 becoming that main pathway into getting to Formula 1 because it saw maybe the rise of Formula 2 into F2 before going kind of away from the Formula 3 route. Only one driver uh, hasn't made it into Formula 1 after winning the championship since Stoffel Van Dorn won it in 2015. So I think you're right there. What? Why didn't it work for Stoffel Van Dorn, Jim? Is he... 
some drivers just are so you know confidence orientated if you like and when their confidence is up they're brilliant and when their confidence is down it really it really impacts them doesn't it yeah you want to say did it work or did it not or did they go to the uh, reserve formula of formula re hannah's gonna hate me with uh, the rest of the, the drivers that never made it like mr defries um, I'm just, I'm genuinely just kidding. The, the face there is exactly what I was aiming for. No, I watched a documentary and I forget the name of it now. And Amazon did it with McLaren that year. And I think this was at the point where they're thinking, oh, we're on the up. We're going to make it again. Let's have a documentary series to focus on our rise, um, like the Phoenix through the flames. And it wasn't, it was just like, look how bad we are and continuing to be bad. And I always wonder. Yeah, the, the car was rotten. The McLaren, until recent years, until Fernando Alonso buggered off and coincidence, no. Uh, the McLaren just seemed to be going nowhere. And I wonder with Stoffel, he came in as you would, I suppose, of a junior driver, the rookie going up. And he just seemed in that documentary, a bit behind the scenes, and when you saw him on track, to be not blinded by the lights, not deer in headlights necessary, but very much the corporate man, very much, yes, yes, sir, I'll do that, yes, sir. You know, that sort of thing. And you hear this from a lot of F1 drivers, that they're not confident. Lando said the same, that in his second season, he came with a bit more, no, this is how I want the car. And even his story recently with um, Vettel uh, and the seat with um, Mick Schumacher's seat and saying there's lumps and Mick was showing, look, these are where the lumps are. And then Gunter Stein heard of it from mix mom like you're a formula one driver we said the top 20 in the world if something's wrong you tell the team boss this is wrong it needs to be like this and it's that sort of thing that i wonder if that's was almost to the detriment of stoffel because he clearly had the speed hannah's gone through that plenty and he still has the same speed but that year just not being able to go in as so few drivers would unless you're max verstappen maybe to say, this is wrong, don't like this, want this to change, that sort of stuff. It was trusting incorrectly, but who else could you really trust? The people around you then to say, this is how we do things, this must be like that. And what McLaren really had there was the situation with Fernando Alonso saying, this is how things are, and bowing to him. And Stoffel maybe have been unfortunate in the timing of getting promoted right then, and then being under the the McLaren spell as it was, which could have ruined his, well, has ruined his F1 career. Um, I don't think he's going to come back. That's that's pretty certain by now. I don't think he necessarily needs to. He's certainly quick, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a shame. And like De Vries, uh, ironically, the teammate he's got in Formula E. It's a real shame we never got to see the best of either of them. We never even got to see Mick, but it's a real shame that we never got to see him racing in Formula 1 because to their best of their abilities in a fast car, who knows how could how good they could have been um, to the nature of the beast. Unfortunately, you, your timing can really screw you over and De Vries is the epitome of it and Stoffel could have been as well. Yeah, maybe a, uh, 
a stoppable Van Dorn alongside Carlos Sainz, for example, in 2019 would have been a different story. But we will never know. By the way, what a lineup Mercedes have got in Formula E. Two, two former champions, and uh, it's a great lineup, isn't it? 2016, uh, obviously, the mighty Prima entered the sport and, of course, take the championship by storm. Uh, a season long battle between Antonio Giovinazzi uh, and Pierre Gasly, uh, with the latter coming out on top uh, and being our last ever GP2 champion. Obviously, both in Formula One now, Jim. Who would you say has had the better of the two since they've been in Formula One? Pierre Gasly. Next question. No, I, don't want to, I don't want to be too mean on poor Giovinazzi. It's not like they've had equal motors, the, the battle of the alphas as it is now. Um, Alpha Tari are almost fulfilling or getting close to fulfilling that promise that Red Bull said that they're not going to be the, the junior team, they're going to be the sister team, especially in recent years. And Gasly's shown, especially in 20, well, last year and this year, just how good he is. Winning the race, of course, at Monza, um, huge deal. But it's not been a flash in the pan. Like Ever since that demotion from Red Bull, we've, we've seen how good Pierre Gasly is. And he's one of the, he might have been the driver of the season last year, and he's looking like he could be the driver of the season this year as well. He's consistently pulling the AlphaTauri to places where we don't know if it should or shouldn't be because there's no real way to gauge where it should be. Kvyat wasn't really putting up much of a fight last season. Was it Imola maybe where he had the better of Gasly of the one time? And this year, Sonoda is the rookie. I expect Gasly to do better. And Gasly's carrying the team. Uh, Sonoda's got rookie errors and I I rate Sonoda greatly. I don't think you go through one season of F2, get promoted and then score points in your first race if you're a bad driver. Um, yeah, without a doubt, it's it's Pierre Gasly. I don't think Giovinazzi this far into his F1 career, even with the Alfa Romeo, I think he should be showing more than he is. If, uh, I know it's difficult to gauge again with them not being able to score points. You can't just look at oh, it. has got one point. Kimi's got one point. And that's kind of how it's been when they've been so far at the back. But he's shown progress, but Kimi's a bit of a spent force. So it's difficult to, to see where he ranks. It's not the best. Uh, I see the, the grimaces. I love Kimi. But he's, he's, his best years are behind him, guys. You have to accept that. There's no more championships. You know, you know, right? I, I must be the only person that really rates Antonio Giovinazzi because everyone says the same thing. You know, Kimi's, Kimi's done, he's not up for. I mean, this is a guy that came into Formula 2, or GP2 as it was, his first season up against Pierre Gasly, who has experience in the championship. And he, you know, he took it to the last round of the season. And actually, he's, you know, I, I think he's, he's done quite well in the last season or two up against a world champion, Kimi Raikkonen. And I know he's passed his day, absolutely. Uh, I don't think Antonio Giovinazzi gets the credit he deserves, Hannah. What, what, is he going to go? Is he going to go into the Ferrari though? Is that is that an actual likely situation? Do I? This is going to you actually, Fraser. I'll switch the host for one moment. Would you, as Matteo Bonotto, want to put Giovinazzi in a Ferrari when you've got the options that you've got? Are you sure I'm allowed an opinion as the host? <laughs> I, I, I will. I will say one thing. Right. I I, I I agree with you that I don't think Antonio Giovinazzi is ready for a Ferrari seat and possibly ever will be. But I rate Antonio Giovinazzi as much, if not more, than Mick Schumacher. And that's going to upset a few people. But I, yeah, I do. I do. And I, I just don't think that he's he's had 
I don't know, as much credit as, as he deserves. And that's the last opinion I'm ever having on this show because I know that I'm going to get a few, uh, few the people not agreeing with that. But uh, yeah. Hannah? <laughs> I'm speechless at that. I don't know what to say. I think in terms of his GP2 season, I will say hats off to Antonio Giovinazzi. I actually, funnily enough, saw the 2016 I went to the 2016 British Grand Prix so I saw Pierre Gasly's first win of the season there which was very exciting to have to explain why there's a red bull in Formula in GP2 at the time because there's some people in the crowd that didn't get it but also I think he definitely brought the fight to Pierre and I think you can't underrate his GP2 season and say oh it was a fluke or things like that because you don't end up second Yes, the Premiers entered the championship and were brilliant, but also the season lineup was strong. Yeah, there was some kind of a couple of the talents waving more towards the back of the grid than where they should be, but ultimately he did well. And I think had he maybe stayed in another season, he could have gone down and done what Stoffer Van Dorn did, finished second in your first season and then win it the following year. But for me, of the two of them, he just fit. Antonio Nui just feels a bit underwhelming in Formula One. I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't want to say, oh, it's star quality and things like that, because I think that's obviously very subjective. But he just feels a bit blah. Like he puts in solid performances, but he's like the driver you have on a Monday, not the driver you want on a Sunday for me, I think. He just doesn't put in the quality performances wherever he needs it, and it's taken him so long to get to a point where he's competitive with Kimi, had that, for example, if that had happened in his first or second season, I'd have said, yeah, he's there. Fair enough. It takes time. Kimi, although past his best, you cannot deny that when Kimi has a good day, he can do things with Alfa Romeo that baffle me. And I think Antonio just doesn't seem to be able to get that edge on him more often than not. Whereas Pierre, I think, after obviously the Red Bull demotion, it's like Pierre Gasly 2.0. It's like both a new driver and the same driver in that sense. His personality, I think he's just got so much confidence in himself. And he's clearly the leader at Alpha Tauri. And Tony Gimazzi is not the leader at Alpha Romeo. Kimmy leaves, and whether they take Mick from Haas, whether they get Callum Eilat in, is Antonio really going to be that leader of the team? Well, it's, it's claiming Alpha Tauri. Pierre Gasly is the leader and is able to make his mark on the team. And that, for me, sets apart a good driver from a great driver. If uh, if if they do take Mick from Haas and Antonio Giovinazzi beats Mick Schumacher over the course of next season when they're both in the alpha, we'll be coming back to this video and I'll be reminding <laughs> you two and everyone else in the comments who... Uh, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. This is, You're uh, preempting we... the comments already, yeah. that says a lot. <laughs> you know what, though? This is why we love motorsport because everyone has a different opinion and uh, it, it keeps us all on our toes, doesn't it? Do you know, uh, do you know what, though? One thing, Fraser, just the final point with the Giovinazzi issue because I was just looking through Wikipedia... I know he hadn't won any significant championship. There's some Chinese championship that he'd won. Um, the GP2, close. But the, I think the reason why subconsciously I'm not rating him as highly, and maybe this is the same thing with you, Hannah, that there's the age. I just, I just looked and I was surprised because I knew he was older, but he's 27. And we talk about, would you put him in the Ferrari? Both of the Ferrari drivers are younger than him and the the way it's going right now, teenagers coming through. We saw Lando, we've seen Max famously coming through as youngsters. 27's on the older age, and he's 
barely started his career. And if he was in the Red Bull program, he wouldn't have lasted. He'd have been, he'd have been chopped donkeys ago. And I think, I think there's no route. I don't know what you'd want to do with him. Say if Alpha say, okay, we're going to recall Mylot and Kimmy maybe next year. Who wants to pick up Giovinazzi? I, unless you're going to replace Mazepin with somebody who might keep the car out of the wall. I don't know where he fits. And it's not to, it's not to be nasty about Antonio. I listened to the Beyond the Grid with him. He's, he seems like a really nice guy. And I was really surprised because you don't get a lot of him in the British media. And I think maybe that's uh, the, the level of English that he speaks, as bad as that sounds. I think they just avoid a little bit of that. Um, but he was great. He sounded, he sounded like a really nice guy. He spends two hours doing his hair, by the way. How about that? Um, and I, I, I warm to him based off that, but I can't warm to him based off his results. And that's the unfortunate element of it, that you need to be quick and you need to be likable. And he's got likability down to a T after getting more of him. But I just don't know where he goes if Afromo decided not for us anymore. The, the age thing is definitely a good point. And, um, you know, he is older than Carlos Sainz, who is already in the in the Ferrari. And obviously, Charles Leclerc, because we forget how young Charles Leclerc is, don't we? So, yeah, it's a very, very good point. Speaking of Ferrari, uh, 2017, uh, a certain young monogast called Charles Leclerc uh, does enter the world of, uh, of Formula 2. Uh, and he becomes a champion at the first time of asking, obviously. Uh, an unbelievable one season. And, you know, it, it was it was brilliant, wasn't it, Jim? Yeah, it's uh, we, we spoke about these generational talents, the ones you hear about, and that drive uh, I spoke about earlier. That was one of the things I was speaking to my barber, would you believe, at the time. We are just like, how about that Charles Leclerc? Yeah, how about that Charles Leclerc? Snip, 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 snip. I believe that haircut now, don't I? <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it was one of those single season come through, boom, I'm here and I am coming with a hero's journey almost with the terrible stuff this kid's gone through and the way that he fights back. And it's, it's his journey, his entire journey to get in the F1 seat and then to get the Ferrari seat. And then with the death of Bianca, the death of his dad, how he reacts to both of these things. You wouldn't believe it if you watched a movie, you'd be like, this, this just doesn't make sense. And I've warmed quite a lot to Verstappen recently, but I did kind of have this idea in my head that I couldn't wait for the Leclerc-Verstappen championship fight because it was like good versus evil. This is this is the guy who's like bullied his way into Red Bull, bullied his way into that seat. Uh, you know, get out of the way, Kavia, I'm coming through. And then you've got Leclerc the angel and he hurts his radios and he's not exactly like an angelic figure, but he's got the hero's journey coming through. And what Verstappen lacked, as we've alluded to, was the season in the second uh, series. And Leclerc didn't and completely showed everybody up, maybe not to the extent of Stoffel, Hannah, that one's for you. Uh, but he was impressive, Prabor showing, if you want to be in a good team, come and work for us. Uh, and then that link to go into to Sauber. I think it's still called Sauber, wasn't it? When they, when they went up. It just, there, there seemed to be an inevitability about his entire route to have the speed that he had, 
to then know, okay, well, there's this drive, dang, you know, carrot on a stick, come if you do well this year, which he did, you can come drive in Formula One, you can come, come drive the Sauber. And he's scoring points in the Sauber, embarrassing Ericsson. And then Ferrari make this audacious step to recruit youth, not to recruit a world champion. And it was great. It's changed my opinion of Ferrari as well. This team, that uh, they're forward thinking, thinking let's build a squad around this this talent, this generational talent. I feel like we're using the word a lot, but we are speaking about generational talents in this program and this podcast. Um, but Leclerc was one of those and his, his F2 season demonstrated that. I don't know where, I don't know when Ferrari are going to have the pace again, but Leclerc and Ferrari, you never, you never can discount Ferrari ever, even though it's been, what, 15 years or 14 years since the championship, but you can't discount Ferrari at all. And with them building the team around Leclerc, yeah, he's the world champion. I, I, I will firmly stand by Charles Leclerc will be a world champion at one point. We've we've seen obviously Hamilton and Rosberg come through the this this the you know GP two as it was at the time and battered it out for a Formula One World Championship on numerous occasions. Are we looking at the same thing with Charles Leclerc um, up against Matt? Oh no, obviously Max Verstappen hasn't uh, come through GP two or Formula two. Uh, but are we looking at the same thing? Is that the future of Formula One? You're looking at Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen battling it out. I would say sort of. I think you're probably missing one person from that lineup. Maybe George. We Russell. might talk about him in a minute. <laughs> I won't, won't die talk too much into George then, but I think definitely Charles was maybe Max. I think was the signal of the new generation of Formula One drivers, and maybe was the nail in the coffin for people like Antonio Giovinazzi, for example. Given his youth compared to a lot of them coming up, but for Charles Leclerc, he seemed. He did seem like the antithesis on the complete opposite of Max Verstappen. I think he showed an incredible level of maturity that belied his age and had that measured approach. The fact that he was able to get Sauber that had finished dead last the season before, up to eight. Yeah, it's not record-breaking, but for them it was a lot. And outperforming Ericsson, who, though wasn't amazing, was highly, was at least moderately rated amongst the grid. And I think for him, was it kind of did set him on a collision course with kind of his death. I hate saying collision course of his destiny, but it was. I think if you ever saw that um, Bahrain sprint race where he practically rewrote Formula 2 rules and pitted and fought his way through, anyone who watched that race, you knew he was destined for the Formula 1 grid. And I think him and Max showcased maybe the two different sides of being a driver. I think maybe Max was initially his early career very ruthless, would go for moves, but now seems more calculated, now seems a lot maybe mature, I'd say Max's maturity has come on leaps and bounds since he started, but Charles was maybe, I would occupy if his car was working for him, I'd say probably the quicker of the two, outright pace wise, but sometimes his risk didn't always pay off against his reward and maybe he needs especially in now with Ferrari needs to toe that more cautious line I think he'll be interested in seeing his career with Carlos Sainz now at Ferrari because obviously he got the better of Sebastian Vettel, which I think surprised many. But Carlos is holding his own at the moment. And for sure, I think he needs to go out there and prove. He needs that maybe star season that he had. Obviously, he's had pole positions in unusual circumstances, let's just say. <laughs> but 
he's needs that kind of spark and that energy, I think, and that shine that he had when he first arrived at Ferrari because Carlos the moment is keeping up with him. Yes, the Ferrari's off the pace and it is going to be difficult to measure it. But for him, as we've all seen his talent, we know that him and Max Verstappen, if their cars are good, their championship battle is inevitable. And for Charles, he just needs that confidence again. He's got he's got the one thing, I will say one thing that he did or Ferrari did that as affected drivers up and down the grid was locking into that locking him into that long-term contract. Is it set the precedent of teams now keeping their young talent with them, fostering them? And I think for him it showed why the Ferrari Driver Academy could produce such amazing talents. And so I'm excited to see Leclerc versus Verstappen. I don't know who will come out on top, but I'm is it sad to say I'm rooting for Verstappen? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think as well, having Carlos in that seat alongside Charles Leclerc, I, I think that 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 ups his game as well, doesn't it? So uh hopefully we'll see the best of Charles Leclerc over the next few seasons. Obviously, 2018, you know what? That was my favourite ever uh, Formula 2 season, I think. Obviously, GP3 champion George Russell up against European Formula 3 champion, as it was at the time, uh, Lando Norris. You had Alex Albon returning for a second season. You had Artem Markolov, who was obviously the runner-up in 2017, back uh, to fight for the title. I mean, I haven't even mentioned Nicholas Satifi, uh, you know, uh, Nick DeVries in there as well. Was that the best season in terms of drivers that have been in Formula 2, Hannah? It was the creme de la creme of junior series talent. And if you look, Alex Albon maybe should have got more opportunities at Red Bull than he got. Lando is, if that McLaren it gets into a world championship position, I maybe thought Lando wouldn't have that potential, but he certainly proved the season. I think he's what he's the only driver to have scored in every race this season so far. Yeah. And he is just absolutely flying in. Although Ricardo's teammate's struggling, he's just eclipsed him on his own merit and I think eclipsed a lot of the drivers around him. And then George Russell, who, it's about winning the championship, hasn't had the best car, but you cannot deny that George outdrives that Williams. He's missed a Saturday for a reason. Is He has shown time and time again, especially when he stood in for Lewis Hamilton last season, why he deserves that Mercedes seat. And I think he's one of those drivers that you get him up in that front-running car if Mercedes have a title winning car in 2022 and he's there, I think he could bring the fight to Lewis. And I think that all those foundations that make these drivers so great were built in Formula 2. And I think you can never undersell how pivotal that year was for building them as drivers and competitors to be worthy of the Formula 1 grid. Yeah, 100%. It'll be interesting to see next season what Mercedes do with that seat. Jim up there with, as in George Russell, up there with Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc. Uh, and, and where do you rank Lando Norris in terms of that? I rank Lando Norris a lot higher this year um, than I did before. And not to say I didn't rank him particularly high before, but he's certainly coming to his own, hasn't he? I don't know if the influence of Carlos leaving has actually made him make the step up that perhaps he thought before he could sit comfortably behind the more experienced driver. Daniel is, of course, more experienced, but he's not experienced within the McLaren world. And he's been phenomenal. I think it's in a dream world next year, the regulations come and flatten everything. And you'd have this situation where Hamilton and Russell are in the Mercedes battling against Verstappen in the Red Bull battling against Leclerc in the Ferrari, battling against Norris in the McLaren, Vettel in the Aston, Alonso 
in the Alpine, it, it would just be immense. It would be this absolute headline event. But realistically, I don't think McLaren are going to make the step up that big. And I do think Mercedes and Red Bull, maybe Ferrari, even with regulation change, I just don't know if it's going to shake up the order too much because the big teams are the big teams for a reason. And if even with the cost cap and the budget stuff coming in, if they weren't thinking ahead before that came through and throwing money before... And throwing money towards that before the cost cap was introduced, yeah, I still think there might be a bit of a a gap to bridge. But talking about that season, though, I think as a as a spectator, it's one of those ones where, with this was at the point when YouTube and Formula One give a lot more access into Formula Two as well. That if you wanted just to catch up on the races, there's your five minutes highlights. And I think this was at the point where it's one of those situations where with the three drivers that got promoted <clears throat> that year and Albon took the Thai flag, but was essentially a British driver of the way he was brought up that as Brits, this was great. It was just like watching in between us doing racing. It was brilliant entertainment. The, the three of them were good friends and having a championship fight. And yeah, George came out on top and I think it looked like George was going to come up, come out on top a lot more towards the end, but yeah, Lando, Lando seems to be getting close, but I don't think he's ever really going to go and swing that way for him. Um, but yeah, I think that's why it was great to watch because you felt involved, didn't you? You felt like you were almost one of one of the gang that you were in amongst it, having their in-jokes. And these drivers, like we saw with COVID last year, these are the drivers of this new breed. They were like, yeah, I'll come and do the esports. Why not? It sounds fun. I'll be accessible. I'll be live on Twitch. And they almost single-handedly last year rescued Formula One in a time when it needed rescuing in terms of keeping people engaged. I didn't have Bernie Eccleston to start ridiculous rumours about we're going to put gold medals on the cars or something to weigh them down. Some Something ridiculous just to get a headline. Had these drivers been reachable? Leclerc, I'll put in that as well with his banana suit, all that sort of stuff. It was It was great. And yeah, maybe the Leclerc year actually. And then with Russell... It's a new breed of driver coming through, very accessible, very open about talking. Big shout out to to Lando talking about um, mental health like he does as well. And I think he's actually very introverted and he's very proud of being introverted. And I think he's given a voice to a lot of people that otherwise wouldn't have that voice. The whole season, that season, terrific to see those guys come through. Maybe Alex will come back as well. But yeah, and going back way back to your question, it could be a titanic battle between Russell in a Mercedes, should he get the step up? And let's face it, he should. Um, I can't wait. I cannot wait for, for these drivers to be taking their Formula 2 battles into into Formula 1 when the Mercedes dominance is fully over, which it looks like it might be. Yeah, you are right. This Formula 2 era, the new Formula 2 era, has provided some really refreshing drivers to Formula 1, and it is absolutely brilliant for the sport. At 2019, and Nick De Vries didn't quite have the season that he wanted to have in 2018 at Prima, but he stormed to the title in 2019. Uh, picked up, you know, a lot of victories. Beat Nicholas Latifi to the title. Obviously, went on to race in Formula Formula One the following season, and he's still there now, obviously. And it was Nick De Vries a little bit unlucky not to get called up to to, to Formula One? And you know, he, he, I mean, his season was brilliant, wasn't it? 
It was. I think there's maybe been some criticism of that season not being maybe as exciting as the season before it with George, Thunder and Alex. But I think you cannot take away Nick DeVries was superb. You can only ultimately be measured by your own season. He ended up taking 12 to 22 podiums. For him, it's also got to feel pretty positive. I think you can only look back at that season with fondness and bring them to the title. But it proves... My one slight bugbear with the junior categories is sometimes it's not always the best driver that gets on the grid. And I think that it's not like, say, for example, in football, you win the championship, you're going up to the Premier League, you win Formula 2. It doesn't always mean you're going to Formula 1. And he was unlucky in the fact that he was in the McLaren Junior programme at the same time Lando was. And I think Lando, given that he'd had one season in Formula 1, whereas Nick had had three attempts at the title and ultimately won on his third attempt, it just meant he was out Sean. They'd had Stoffel, they had Lando. That's where McLaren's future was. But I think now a lot of people that maybe underestimated him or maybe didn't realise his talent and now being able to see it in Formula E. And it's exciting for me. I avidly watch Formula E and Mercedes being a works driver with them. He's had that growth as a driver and I think as a leader in the team, both him and Stoffel are able to lead it incredibly well. And I think it's proven for the moment that even if you win Formula 2 or you don't end up in Formula 1, your career's not over. There are a lot of opportunities because I think the hyper-focus is, it is always going to be Formula 1. Every I don't think anyone goes into car and goes, I want to get to Formula 3. You want to get to Formula 1 and you want to get to the top, but it proves that there is a life away from Formula 1 and it isn't the be-all and end-all for a driver's career not to get there. And there are chances for success elsewhere. It's just frustrating that sometimes money plays more of a factor in getting on the grid than talent does. Not to take away from Nicholas Satifi, I thought he did a superb job, but it was just unfortunate. I think if Nick had had more sponsors, could he have got the Williams seat rather than Latifi or gone to McLaren? Yeah, we will never know. Uh, finally, uh, 2020, obviously Mick Schumacher had a brilliant end of the season to go and take the championship with Kramer uh, obviously secured a Formula 1 seat alongside Yuki Tsunoda and Nikita Mazepin we speak about them every week on the show um, so I'm not going to spend too much time speaking about those guys but Jim if I if you were to pick a champion of champions if you like from all of the drivers that we've spoken to uh, spoken about even uh, over over the last hour or so who, who's your pick uh, who, who, who do you think would would is not only the best driver but I suppose the, the complete package if you like it's hard to look past Lewis I suppose I don't know if that's a bit of a cop-out of an answer but when you've got as many championships as he's got maybe he'll even get eight this year you can't really say anybody else if you're if you're thinking about any of the drivers that we've just mentioned because Michael Schumacher is not one of them who has achieved the most uh, it's, it's it's got to be Lewis, I suppose. Um, to go for a champion of champions with those same drivers, and you ask the same question about those drivers, not any future drivers in ten years' time, the answer could be different. And we could say, well, George Russell, after nine years of winning the championship, uh, it's got to be him, right? We, we just we can't tell at this point. I think we could see we could see Leclerc. If Ferrari come good, doing what we, what we said about having the battle against Max Verstappen, who isn't one of the 
drive as we've spoken about but we could see Leclerc up there as well potentially I do rate him extremely highly uh, he had a bit of a messy weekend in Styria we were recording this just after Styria that he got the driver of the day uh, vote but he did clip people's uh, <laughs> tires ruined up for people's races and wasn't the best but it still made it entertaining but yeah, it could be could be Leclerc in the future. And do you know what I really like to see, actually, is when you see these drivers in the paddock and in the press conferences, that Lewis Hamilton seems to have this almost fatherly figure role with Leclerc. I don't know if you guys have picked this up. The yeah. way he looks at him, puts his hand on his shoulder. It doesn't seem to do it with other drivers, but he just seems to be really fond of Charles Leclerc. And I think um, I think I am as well. There's an inherent nice quality about him, and he's bloody quick. So... Maybe Charles Leclerc, if you ask the same question, ten years time. But if not, it's got to be Lewis. And uh, all of those champions in the same car uh, in a car. Maybe this season's Formula Two car. Uh, are you in agreement? Is Lewis Hamilton coming out on top? Is Charles Leclerc giving him a good run for his money? Is George Russell up there? Who knows? What, what, what do you think? Oh, I think it'd be. You can't deny that Lewis is a god amongst mortals in motorsport. He is just. If you had them all in the same car, nine times out of ten, I would assume Lewis would come out on top because I think he is just, I don't know how he does it. It's unreal. Um, to be honest, I can't wrap my head around it sometimes, just how good he is in that car. Yes, he has his bad days. Yes, sometimes the strategy and things work out. But he's shown time and time again that when adversity comes knocking, he's got a reply for it and has sorted it and is able to fly through the front. I don't think he's won all his world titles through sheer luck or that. Yes, you can argue the Mercedes is the better car, but ultimately he was the one that took it to the titles and he was the one that actually pushed Mercedes to be able to get to that position. Yes, it was both through Schumacher and through Rosberg, but it was Hamilton that's kept them at the front for so long. I would say at the moment I would go Lewis as the champion of champions, but I think George definitely has that potential for me. I think he has shown the quick, the consistency and I think the kind of awareness, although I've realised I'm, I'm saying that after what happened in um, Imola, uh, probably not the best example, but he has an awareness about himself and an ability to adapt to that car that given the short time frame he had in Skir, you can't un- you can't deny that he is just an unbelievable driver. And I think when he gets that experience, he will fly in that Mercedes. And I think that's where Mercedes' future lies. It's weird seeing how the parallels sometimes in a lot of the driver's careers, but if you need a driver to uphold Lewis's legacy as being an undeniable talent, I think George would fulfil that more than adequately. I think he would just be a stellar world champion, and I'm excited to see him finally get in a car and be able to fight it out because for we've seen, I think in recent years, the changing of the guard, and soon Lewis will retire, soon Sebastian Vettel will be retiring, and... Kimi Raikkonen too and it'll be the time for the new talents to fully show why they've been hot favourites and so well respected within the community for so long Formula 1 has a bright future and obviously the junior series and Formula 2 has a massive part to play in that guys that's all we have time for today Hannah, Jim thank you very very much for joining us on today's show you can find all the links of course to our social media channels in the link below or go onto our website and it's in the header if you enjoyed the show please make sure you give us a like and hit the subscribe button but from me Fraser Ford and all of us here at Inside F2 we'll see you next time